This is the Life School Podcast, episode number 170, and today we're going to talk about how culture is redefining marriage and singleness and what that means for those who follow Jesus. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of your life. This is the stuff that your parents, teachers, and pastors forgot to tell you. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Cesar Kalinowski. Good day, my friend. Good day. Good day. <laughs> good day, indeed. No, it is a good day, and we've been having fun. And I don't know if our listeners know this, but we sometimes record multiple episodes together. Yeah. We didn't like we, we don't record it Monday morning yeah. and put it right out. You know, I never wake this early. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, comes out at three in the morning on Monday, but but it has been a good day, and we've we've man, we've got some great stuff that yeah. we've did in the last couple of weeks. Now people have heard. I'm I'm just excited where it's going. Yep. And today is going to be no different. Uh, we've got an amazing guest. Wow, right? Yeah, Cutter Calloway. For yeah. those who aren't familiar with him, he's um. He's actually the assistant professor of theology and culture uh, at Fuller Seminary. His smart. Super smart. <laughs> yeah. His writing uh, typically will focus on the interaction between theology and culture, and we're going to have him back on to talk about uh, how to watch movies and TV shows through and a theological this, lens. It's great to have an expert, cause like Life School Podcast, making, making faith and life fit together, right? Yeah. This guy's like the brainiac study, you know, studied his whole life professor of it. So absolutely, I, that's why I'm so stoked, man. Yeah, so actually, one of the things he's working on now is a is a project that's concerned with the aesthetic dimensions of atheism. So, because why not? Well, what? So, uh, but, <laughs> but today we're but, talking about his book, Breaking the Marriage Idol, about reconstructing our cultural and spiritual norms uh, when it comes to marriage and singleness. Yeah. So. And how the culture speaks in all that and it's changing and shifting. Yep. And I had a, I had an amazing conversation about just that with my, my own son several months back. He's okay. an attorney and he actually works for a firm that's connected to media and the arts and mm. entertainment and all that, but also some very interesting understanding of Cause he's full on believer, yeah. um, understanding of marriage from a secular and social construct yeah. versus and over and against biblical marriage and all that and how, you know, they're two very, very different things. And so, anywho, yeah, very excited to have have our guest on today. Yeah. Uh, hey, Cutter, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I got to ask you, Cutter, any history to that name? Being a Caesar and one of <laughs> one of five Caesars now in the world, my grandson's number five, but what's what behind the name Cutter? I mean, Cutter Calloway, you sound like a rock star or movie yeah, star. That is cool. I really wish there was some like romantic story, and I, I used to think there was, but, um, you know, I my dad was actually a youth pastor in Texas, and for the longest time, I thought that the the students in his youth ministry had named me in the womb, you know, like, a, like and, and uh, out I came, and it stuck, and I was, you know, the beloved son of this community. Well, turns out, I'm, I'm one of five kids, and my parents are both Ks, too, so it's Kenny, Kathy, Camden, Cutter, Casty, Kate, and Colt. Wow. Boom. Oh, I know. Wow. I know. Uh, so I'm number two, and apparently my dad just came up. Now, I, I learned this only like 18 months ago, huh. that apparently there was some racehorse in Houston that was, <laughs> went by the name of Cutter, and, and my dad liked it and badgered my mom, and she said, no, we're never going to curse our child with that name. <laughs> and and literally, driving to the hospital in labor, my dad keeps you know needling her. Can we? If it's a boy, can it be Cutter? And she said, fine, if you'll just shut up. 
and let me be in labor, we can name him Cutter. And that's no how way. It so, well, it yeah. it could have been Secretariat. So I mean, it'll, we're grateful. True. A very good point. Very good. Grateful point. for the. <laughs> no, it's great, man. Hey, um, one of the things that we're excited about is talking about your new book. Uh, called and really Break. the topic in the book. That's what we're most excited about. Like we yeah. don't mind hawking the book, but <laughs> but we wanna we wanna get to the stuff, man. Yeah. So this book's called Breaking the Marriage Idol, and the subtitles are Reconstructing Our Cultural and Spiritual Norms. Uh, so we just want to jump into this topic of marriage and singleness. Um, in in your opinion, when it comes to the question of marriage and singleness specifically, what role does culture play in all of this? Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny. It's one of these books that is not, you know, if you look at sort of what I do and what I teach on and <laughs> my my experience and background, it would not lead anyone to say, oh, this guy's going to write a, a book on marriage. Sure. Um, and, but and I but you are married. so I, I am. I'm, you know, I'm an expert at this one marriage. Um, <laughs> if you just ask my wife. Um, and uh, but it, it basically is in fact um, sort of rooted in, in what I do in terms of like theology and culture, hmm. um, and, and that it's really an, a theological engagement with with culture, both the broader culture in which we all live and move and have our being, and then also this interesting, sometimes odd subculture of American Christianity, hmm. um, and, and uniquely then focused on this question of what does it mean to be married and single, um, both in the church and then in society at large. And is, is the church offering anything different or compelling or even at the very basic level Christian in the way we think about our community and, and it being comprised of, of both single and married people? Hmm. So um, that's where it, it, it emerged out of just various conversations with uh, friends, family members, colleagues, associates. Um, but at the end of the day, it really is this sort of uh, cultural analysis of uh, what are we doing right and where might we do better? Why do you think we've gotten to this point where there seems to be uh, a very spoken about and very vocal uh, sort of debate out there about the way the church sees marriage and the way the culture, you know, sees and participates now in what is called marriage? And, you know, is it even biblically grounded on either side or should it be, you know, is, are they two different things? Because, you know, I, I go I had to go get a marriage license from the state, yeah. Yeah. but it had nothing to do with my covenantal, uh, you know, entering in with my wife. It was just a kind of like IRS thing. You know, <laughs> I had to get one, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a, a fantastic point of uh, one. Are these is, is there a time now that we need to name these as different things? Hmm. Um, and. And what would be the goods and bads of that? I mean, I'm not even, and in the book, I don't do that. But even now, I don't, I don't know if I know the answer to that. However, what is the case is that for the last however many hundred years, at least in the U.S., um, the broader cultural norms reflected Christian norms. Hmm. Um, and, and so there wasn't, the question wasn't even there. So the, the getting your marriage license was a just sort of de facto same thing as, as being married within the church, right? I mean, the, the, the sort of vision of what that meant was... Kind of part was, A, part B, same yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. And so um, now as we're sort of increasingly a post-Christian, even a post-secular society, um, both both as citizens of this broader society, but then as, as Christians uh, who are inhabiting a pluralistic context, we need to start asking these questions of what does distinguish a Christian marriage from something that's not that? Um, and... And, and is the terminology what we want to hold on to so that we, we start saying not only is this thing marriage, but this needs to be marriage for everyone? Or 
are we comfortable saying this is what marriage means for us, this community, um, because of our our faith commitments, our theological commitments? And if that's the case, and that's where the book really gets at, if that's the case, then how should that actually impact our day-to-day lives, um, the way that we uh, lead, the way that we we lead our own communities, whether as professional pastors or lay leaders, um, and then just the way that we interact with each other as a community. Hmm. Um, I, I think all stems from that that core question of what exactly is it, and is it, quote-unquote, biblical? Well, and, and see, I think the, the debate seems to be pitted on two sides of, you know, and here I have to quote another famous theologian, Inigo Montoya, who says, yes, you keep yes. using that word. I don't think yeah, it means what yeah. you think it means. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, is it just a semantical wrangling, or is there completely now that the culture is not necessarily biblical based or a Christian culture, quote unquote? Um, is it really two different things that we're looking at, and is that going to be okay, or is it just you know suck it up, church? You know, I'm going to go two directions with that answer. I think, um, and again, this is what I think. I think right now, um, <laughs> but on the one hand, I think they're actually the exact same thing. And part of what I do in the book is I say, at least for me, my sort of demographic, um, I'm about to be 40, so there's there's how old I am. Um, <laughs> and so I, I grew up in um, this sort of evangelical subculture that, at least my read of it was, it took all of the basic normative assumptions about marriage um, and used those, but just added Jesus to it. <laughs> wow. Um, and... and in so doing, thought it was offering me, you know, a young man, you know, at the age of 14 or 15, whatever, um, thought it was offering me an alternative, right? An alternative to the misguided culture, quote unquote, that had had sort of skewed its perception of marriage. Um, and so so I was encouraged to embrace this vision of, of marriage and then until marriage, singleness, um, that also implicated sort of my, my own sort of sexuality. Uh, and actually, the first my original title for the book was "Sex, Saints, and Singleness," because <laughs> hmm. uh, because sex sells, baby. Yeah, um, but <laughs> we try to get sex in as many titles That's of right. the show exactly. podcast we can. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. This is gonna be a great hit podcast. <laughs> um, and so, so what I, what I kind of go through is I say, hey, let's look at at, at the sort of broader cultural uh, expectations of marriage um, and romantic relationships and coupling, um, and. And it basically is saying to be fully human, you need to be in this basically romantic couplet Hmm. um, that's engaged in sexual activity. And if you don't have either of those things, that is sort of a robust sexual life and or a marriage, if you're denied those in any way, you're not fully human. Hmm. Um, And I actually think for at least the, the evangelical subculture in the U.S., that's actually the same message that we either implicitly or explicitly communicate, um, except we just add on top of it. <laughs> if you fail in certain ways, you forever eliminate the possibility of flourishing. Hmm. And you you um, are a less than human, right? You're, you're not allowed into certain uh, areas of church leadership, for example. Right. You're not trusted with certain sort of uh, uh, elements of, of counseling and whatnot. Um, and so it, that's where that sort of add Jesus comes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and that's and that right away begins to tear down this whole idea that we talk about a lot on the show is our identity and and where our true value and purpose in life actually comes from. Yep. Wow. And and that's where I think, like you're saying, like the the conversation about marriage, quote unquote, in the larger public sphere, um, it's of course partisan and divided and polarized because 
every conversation is now. Yep. Um, and so yeah, surprise. That, you know, yeah. I, part of part of what I'm trying to do, at least in the book, and now is 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 not say that I could I'm somehow above the fray because I'm not, but to to sidestep it and say maybe it's not marriage uh, definitions that's the problem. Maybe it's our own uh, amazing uh, tendency over and over again as the people of God to create idols. Hmm. Um, and and what, what would it look like to say, we want to do this thing called marriage, and we can call it whatever we want, but we want to do this thing, um, and we want to do it right, but we want we don't want it to function as this idol. Um, and, and, and then what would it look like? That is actually something that you talk about in the book, that you say, uh, you reference that the Christian community actually idolizes marriage. What do you mean when you're saying this? Well, basically, it's to say, um, well, you know, very generically, an idol is anything that uh, it functions in the place of, or in a in a place that's reserved only for God. Hmm. Okay, now, is marriage that sort of idol? In some ways, yes, because it gets back to that sense of fully thriving, flourishing individuals in society. Um, the way that we will talk about marriage, and again, I will say we, meaning a pretty focused we, sure. uh, Protest, Protestant evangelicals in the United States, <laughs> and not all of them, but but there's this there's this larger narrative that that all of our local communities are part of, um, and and essentially it's to say, as as individuals, um, we are created to be married, hmm. so that. Um, if you're not, you're not living out your fully creational sort of design or intent, um, which means that uh, that it becomes the the norm. It becomes the paradigm marriage does that that um, that we encourage and uh, and sometimes coerce people into adopting. Sure. Um, all the rules that are set up within our communities are designed to to um, judge and evaluate people based upon this. Um, this paradigm, uh, and and again, if you take it away um, or you don't have it, then you become sort of a second-class citizen. Hmm. Um, you become there, there becomes something wrong with you actually at, at a certain point. It's not simply that you're not married; it's that you're broken. You're you're not uh, fully a, a member of the community. Like um, why is this, why is she not married? Why is this guy not married? Exactly, um, and. Sometimes it's explicit like that. Sometimes it's implicit, right? So that we see pretty much all senior pastors are married. Um, pretty much all the the key leaders of our churches are married. Um, yeah, I was actually it, told that I needed to get married when I was young. They're like, you know, it's not. This is not a position for a, a single man to be yeah. in. You know, you need to get married. No. Yeah. Well, some uh, of that comes from though that this this other false paradigm of the you know senior pastor jack of all trades has to do everything. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, who's going to do the marriage counseling? It's got to be a guy who's married, you know, so it's... Like... Exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, there's, there's again, part of what I'm getting at is not to say that people shouldn't be married or pastors shouldn't be married. Um, it's to say, man, if we look biblically, um, if we look historically at the Christian tradition, um, we are doing our—we're we're lying to ourselves and doing our communities a disservice if if we operate strictly according to that paradigm, that— that leaders of our community must be married, that um, we only trust certain things to married people. And it's because, it, this gets back to the biblical theological thing, my read of the biblical text is, um, if there is any indication of what a Christian should do, if, if we had a choice, right, be married or commit to singleness, it's pretty clearly commit to singleness. 
It's it sure seems like. I mean, if you want to, but we we kind of shovel that under the <laughs> push that under the rug a bit. But we, nobody talks about that. Paul right? Paul was super explicit in that. And then yeah. if we just look at our Lord as the you know if he's our model for life and yeah. like freedom and liberty. So. Sorry, honey. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he was a fully flourishing human being in every. I mean, this is a this is a profound theological commitment to say, Jesus, God incarnate, is is the ultimate expression of both God and humanity. That right. that for us to say to be fully human means to be married, immediately calls into question Jesus' full humanity. Yeah. Um, and so so this these are. I wow. mean, I don't want to overstate it, but these are borderline heresies, right? Um, and another reason, another reason why we, most churches would never hire Jesus right there. Another. Exactly. Um, I mean, he would not, he wouldn't make it on anybody's, uh, top list of candidates. Um, so what are you proposing instead? Like, like, how do we, yeah. how do we turn the corner on this or what, what would it sound, taste, smell look like in practice? Well, some of the stuff I do in the book and, you know, you'll have to read the book. Um, <laughs> okay. Easy on the book promotion now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, part of, I really am one of the things I'm doing and, and I'll do a little plug for my podcast too here um, that folks can listen. I, I'm going to, I'm interviewing a number of different people um, from, you know, whether they're uh, men, women, uh, married, single, um, some older, some younger, and basically asking that question of like, okay, if, if we all kind of acknowledge, especially because we're at sort of a cultural tipping point with this whole marriage thing, um, increasingly uh, people are delaying marriage, increasingly people are just not getting married, um, we are, as a church, going to have to address what a longer-term single life looks like. Um, but also it's an opportunity for us to say, well, maybe it allows us to rethink uh, some of the—and and I basically say it's um, uh, the way we tell stories— the way we sing songs, um, and the way we structure ourselves. Mm. Uh, and so how do we narrate from the pulpit, for example? Um, <laughs> how Every preaching illustration is about my kids. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and, and or, uh, you know, series that are explicitly about marriage and married life. Um, they, it, it's, a, it's shocking to me the kind of sensitivity will we'll show in some ways to not alienate certain groups in our community, but not when it comes to marriage. It's just like, well, the next six weeks— you know, 50% of you sitting here are not going to care what I'm about to say. Hmm. But we go on ahead and say it anyway. Um, but but beyond simply the content of what we we preach and narrate, it would also be the people. Uh, so that gets back to hiring practices, the people we put in in pulpits. Now, again, uh, I, I would like these people to be called to a sort of pastoral preaching role. But still, um, a single people, I think, can do that. Again, yeah. the Apostle Paul is a good example. Um, so that that's one way of us tinkering with this. Um, another way is the the singing songs part. Um, I think. Yeah, I want to hear this. Uh, yeah. That, well, well, I, I one question I ask. Uh, everybody hold hands. Everybody hold hands. Well, especially our single folks. Uh, there's this really interesting short documentary that HBO produced called. Uh, it's something like Big, uh, God is the Bigger Elvis, and um, it's this uh, this woman that that starred uh, next to Elvis for a few films. Was an up and coming starlet in in Hollywood. Um, all signs pointing to she was going to be the next, you know, sex symbol of Hollywood. Um, she goes to this sort of personal retreat at a, um, a convent and basically has a conversion experience and decides to become a nun. Huh. And the documentarians go and they're interviewing her and the other nuns there to say, basically, and they're just shocked. They're like, how could someone that had your life not just give it up and become a religious person, but a celibate religious person? Yeah. <laughs> um, they, were, they were like, seriously, tell us what's going on here. 
Um, and it was fascinating. These nuns, all single women who are make vows to Jesus, right? They they see their vocation as being married to Jesus, and they talk about corporate singing as an actual sensual embodied uh, orgasmic experience. And you have these nuns saying, "What man, human man?" could satisfy me in the way that Jesus does when I sing together with my sisters. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like I know I'm like, that's now that is a countercultural uh, wow. <laughs> way of viewing sexuality, marriage, singleness that, that I, I look at and I go, I have, I have so much admiration for that. Um, does this, and, and I, now you didn't name the actress. It's not Mary Tyler Moore. Cause she didn't no, no, become no, no. a nun, but uh, she was in that movie change of habit with Elvis where he was helping out these nuns. Remember that? That was, I wonder if it was inspired by her. I, I, um, God is the bigger Elvis. I think you're gonna have to Google that up called. later. Okay, it's keep Dolores, going. Dolores Hart. Dolores Hart. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, this is this is the kind of thing where I think, um, it, it, you know, this is a, a side note, but still central to the question of one thing that I discuss in the book of what's been become distorted in our conversations about singleness and marriage, especially with young people, is sexuality. So. What we've done in this sort of process of idolization is we've we've punted or delayed our conversations about what does it look like to live as a as a Christian single or just a Christian person with sexual integrity, um, either not being married or being married but being in a season where you're not having sex. Yeah. Um, what does sexual integrity look like, and how do you navigate that? How do you actually uh, cope with that? You know. I'm not shocked that there are so many Christian marriages that fail because of sexual infidelity, in part because marriage doesn't solve sexual dysfunction, right? Mm. Um, and and so I want to say how how might we? Uh, as but a we're all we're all told that. But if you're gonna burn, then you know, then put a ring on it. You know, <laughs> exactly. Now now again, there is some pastoral wisdom in that, right? I mean, yeah. that, that I don't want to discount that, but to to basically say that's the only answer we're giving. Um, I think is also misguided. We, we need to say, okay, well, we now realize that we don't live in Paul's time, so we have young men and women that are not going to get married for another 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years. Um, what, what does sexual integrity look like for them? Yeah. Um, conversely, as I look at, we have a, I have a, an author uh, that authors one chapter of the book, um, and he is a single celibate man, and I say, I need, as a married man, I need to learn about sexual integrity from you. Hmm. Um, and so there's something about uh, the way, and again, this the metaphor is sing together. How might we actually come together as a community in the way we we engage the arts and culture and, and creativity that might actually cultivate a space um, where we can learn from each other, where we can express those sort of embodied life? <laughs> yeah. um, whether or not that's ultimately satisfying like these nuns are saying i don't know um but i know we got to start forging some of those uh, uh possibilities and in comes the emails <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so um what cutter what do you think is i have to i have to two-part this question so if you had to you know fairly succinctly give us what you think a picture of you know, a biblical picture of marriage is could could you or would you be willing to and then secondly does that because of what we said like right at the get-go of our conversation today about wait a minute we had one view of it but now the culture has another and is it the same or is it different is a biblical 
picture of an understanding of marriage, is it even relevant today? That's a good question. In or outside uh, the church, or is it like, no, marriage is one of those fluid things? Is it? Or what do you what do you think biblically there? So, my take, um, and again, what the, the the way I've at least written this book, it emerged in conversation, and so I did that intentionally to say. I want more than just my perspective here. Um, and, and I actually think that's kind of an important part of us getting in a room and saying, all right, here's my sense of it. Here's my read of the biblical text. Here's what I've inherited. What about you? And, and where am I blind to this? So I, I say all that because um, this is my take, but I'm, I say it with sort of, it's provisional. <laughs> right? sure. It's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that we right now as the church need to be dictating what marriage means for the larger society. In large part, because one, I'm committed to a sort of uh, being a a civil citizen of a pluralistic democracy. Um, And and so that's part of what is in the back of my mind. But two, I don't think we've figured it out and are are functioning in a healthy enough way to have any sort of moral standing to do that. Um, that, Well, now you're getting to the crux of it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to, uh, you know, get our own house in order before we can even pretend to be the sort of arbiters of what is good or not for everybody else. Um, and that really is what the book's about. And so when it comes to biblical marriage, the funny story is uh, the, the idea sort of emerged. I wrote a couple of drafts. I sent it to the publisher and they came back and they go, you know, you gave us a lot of really good reasons why not to get married. Um, <laughs> but but this is a book about marriage. So maybe like a chapter on why a Christian would get married. Why it could be awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah may, maybe you should. So there is a chapter on that. Um, but it was it was actually one of the most fun chapters for me to write because um, I, what I did was I, I said, OK, let's say that this notion of a sort of romantic Disney-fied love is not what the Christian vision of marriage is. If we scrub that from it, if it's as best we can, what would a, a biblical, quote unquote, and I, even that, I, I'm not even sure I like that term because what, you know, and you can read this in the book that I go through two whole chapters of, of biblical marriage. Um, and it's a complex thing that isn't really clear cut. Um, what does that mean? Um, and again, it gets back to Paul and Jesus both pretty clearly say marriage is not ultimate, right? It's, hmm, it's, yeah. it's for now, it's a specific calling that's really hard. But I basically say, um, here's sort of five ways to think about marriage and uh, Christian marriage in particular. Again, not that this is what everyone in society should do, um, but if we're committed Christians. And one is um, uh, justice. Uh, how can uh, two people come together and and commit to enacting justice in their life in the world? Um, I use the example of um, C.S. Lewis, uh, who married his wife in part to prevent uh, her kids from having to go back to an abusive father in the U.S. Hmm. Um, and this was against the wishes of the Anglican Church at the time. Um, and, and he basically entered into a civil marriage uh, for the sake of justice, to say, I want to care for specifically the widow and the orphan. Wow. Um, and now this, you got to be careful, this isn't like the savior mentality, but it is, what if two people, when they were saying, should I as a Christian get married, what if one of the primary things things was, I'm not getting married to fulfill some, you know, sexual desire, some longing for kids, some sort of loneliness I'm trying to stave off. But instead, because this is the avenue through which God is calling me to address justice in the world, I think that's a good reason for Christians to get married. Well, you know, what's crazy about that first one there is, and I didn't know this till way late in life, I was on a road trip with my dad and he's in his seventies and he says, you know, 
don't know if you ever knew this, but one of the biggest reasons, you know, your mom and I got married because my dad was 21. He married my mom at 15 and, and she, they were down South and it was this whole thing. It's like, I was like, well, why is that? And he's like, well, because her stepdad was starting to make like uneasy advances, you know, un, unappropriate advances towards her. And she was really afraid. And so that's part of why it went so quick and why so young and all that. It's like, I never knew that. So it's exactly what you're talking about, but in 1951. So, yeah. And, and that's where, you know, I, I, I sense that if you boil down to like individual people's stories and, th- and I have this in the book too, all sorts of people's on the ground stories, um, because I'm, I'm a theologian, so I'll abstract till I'm blue in the face. Right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks I, for I, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but to ground it in saying, here's the real world tangible, both consequences and the stories that are wonderful, rich stories of, of Christian faithfulness that we want to hold up. Like, I want to hold those stories up. Um, Give us another one. First one was justice, second one. So another one would be, uh, I say, uh, generosity. So this this sense in which um, I'm called, and, and some of these are sort of basic just Christian principles, right? Um, that, that I'm called to uh, expand um, and be hospitable to the other. You know, you get so many... Uh, young married people that their first year in marriage, it's, it's chaos and, and trauma and trial, um, mainly because they're, they are having to create a hospitable space, um, and, and be generous with their space. I, I find, uh, that the word here's, here's theologian for you. Uh, the word hospitality comes from this Latin word that is where we get, uh, hostile, um, hospital, um, but also, and, and host, but uh, also um, being hostile towards somebody, hostility. And so there's this sense in which to open up hospitality is not to invite friends who I know are going to repay me in kind, but in fact is to open up a space where I invite the enemy, the foreigner, the other into my most intimate of spaces, and I'm vulnerable with them. And I think that's a lot of how first that first season of marriage is, of like negotiating um, this shared space that you didn't have before. And as a couple, if that is your calling, not only to learn how to do that with each other, but then with others in your life. So then it's the single people who are a part of our community, um, the widows, the people, the you know, the single moms who might have been married and now have kids, the people who've never been married but don't have a you know community. These sort of things. How are we called to create that sort of generous space and hospitality in and through marriage? Not um, what we generally do, and that is, you know, you have this image. Um, of at the wedding ceremony where the two, the couple turns their back on the community and commits to one another, right? Um, as if to say, we, our love is sort of this dyadic union. It has nothing to do with everybody else. And I'm saying Christian marriage is actually, the reason that, that Paul talks about sexuality so much is because Christian marriage is inviting the community of faith into your bedroom. Um, See, and, people and don't that, people don't get that though, and when we no, and we've no. talked about on the show a lot that marriage may be, and this is I think this might be this might lean into why the church has idolized it a little bit if they actually understood it, but that marriage may be one of the strongest pictures of the gospel oh, that yeah. God's given us to display. Yeah, yeah, and an, another reason why we should take it all the more seriously um, and not treat it as sort of an answer to these these things it was never meant to answer. That's right. Good, it was man. never. It was never meant to bear the, the weight of, of some of the things we ask it to bear. And then finally, well, not finally, uh, there's a number, but this is the third one. Um, really, what I, how I couch it is um, a, a, a call to love, right? And, and I know that sounds basic, but what I mean by that um, is I, I've, I 
I go round and round. Then another book that could be written is Breaking the Childbearing Idol. Um, mm -hmm. Because the very next thing that I see most uh, Christian couples deal with, um, especially women, uh, is the pressure of having children and and the the devastation that's caused when women are unable for any number of reasons to bear children. Yeah. Um, and that that's a real thing. I mean, my wife, I mean, we struggled with infertility for a number of years. We do now have children. But uh, I saw a woman who really felt called to have children and what that did to her um, when she couldn't. Yeah. And so I, f I actually think um, that Christian, I don't think the only reason you should get married is to have kids. But I do think if if you are a, a couple and you're considering marriage as Christians and you are at the outset saying, we will not have children and we will not uh, consider adoption or fostering or anything else. In other words, we will not expand beyond the two of us mm. in love. I think you should maybe pause and say, I may be getting married for the wrong reasons. Um, now, that doesn't mean every Christian couple should have kids or should adopt or should foster. But if it's not even a possibility in your imagination, if you're if you're not considering marriage for um, purely intrinsically self-motivated reasons, I don't think that's necessarily Christian marriage. Wow. I think Christian marriage is a call to extend and move outside of ourselves in love. And the, the most tangible way I see that is, again, caring for orphans. We have so many foster children and orphans that need families um, that, that to me, that is a, a profound, again, uh, demonstration of the gospel Amen. that Amen. Christians can, can do. Powerful. What's your wife think about all this, uh, this, this <laughs> new writing you're doing here? Uh, she is supportive of it. Um, I, I, I actually, I wrote this book again. I'm an academic. Um, every one of my books, one to the next is written in the hopes that she'll read it. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping with this one, it'll be the case. She's written, she's read, read some, uh, drafts of it, but not the whole thing yet. Oh boy. Um, and, and so, but no, I've told her everything that's in it and she is, is fully supportive of it. That's I, great. again, I, I, I got lucky. Um, I've often said with her that I think she could probably have been married to anybody and had a successful, great marriage. Sure. Uh, I basically, there was one person that could have worked well with me. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to use that because that's true yeah. for me so, too. That's um, true. For yeah. And, and I honestly, I mean, we got married so young and we're, and again, no one was telling us, no, there wasn't anything like that, but, but so much could have changed so much. I, I just, I, I, we knew ourselves so little. Um, that I, I count myself incredibly fortunate that um, I love my marriage and I think it's wonderful, but I also am part of a, a family, both my immediate family and extended, um, that have m many, many marriages that just collapsed yeah. and were brutal, brutal things that I would not wish upon anybody. Um, and, and that's part of where I want to go and say, well, wait a minute, maybe part of what we want to do is, is, um, is think through before... <laughs> we get married as opposed to how do we prevent the divorce that was always going to happen. Well, right? it's, uh, it sounds like some of the first steps towards it, at least we'll talk from within the church at this point is to maybe shift some of our expectations and, or the weight and reasoning yeah. we place upon people unnecessarily yeah. and the stripping of their humanity and identity. Yeah. If they don't somehow fit under these, I yeah. don't even know where they came from set of parameters. Yeah. So, yeah, well, and that's, and, and I, that is, I think the, 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 answer and the hardest thing to do. And I start the book and we can end it here this way too, is with the story that really it comes in, in the form of narrative more than anything else, what you're talking about. 
And I open with this story that is in a kid's book that I read to my daughters and I have to change because it horrifies me. Hmm. And it's about Mr. and Mrs. Mouse. And, you know, here's Mr. Mouse and he is lonely. And here's Mrs. Mouse. And this is literally what it says. Here's Mrs. Mouse. She's lonely, too. Um, they find each other. And so Mr. Mouse goes from door to door to try to find her again. And when he finally meets her, uh, he says, I really like you, Miss Mouse. Let's get married. So they get Preacher Mole and they get married and they're never lonely again. Oh. Um, now, this is this is a kid's storybook. Hmm. Uh, and then when you add to that all of the, you know, the Disney princess films and everything else that they watch and then the when they get a little older, the, the Taylor Swift music and then the Bachelor and Bachelorette and all of these cultural narratives. And then they walk into church and they're told God has an ordained spouse for you that you just need to wait long enough. All of a sudden you get this whole life of narratives that are powerfully telling you who you should be and how you failed if you're not that thing. Uh. Um, and that's the tough thing that we need to rework um, if we're going to undo the power of those narratives. Jeez, man, that is so good. Well, Cutter, thanks so much again. And we're excited, man, to have you on. And we're excited for the book to come out so we can go deeper into these things. And uh, you've certainly given us a, an awful lot to think about and chew on. And I'm going to get ready for all the emails and posts coming in <laughs> where people are ticked off at us. And I'll just we'll yeah. forward those to you if that's OK. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, just, you can blind copy me on them, but uh, you know, <laughs> don't distribute my email there. That'd be great. Yeah, all righty. Thanks, okay. Cutter. We'll talk to you soon, man. Cool. Hey, thanks a bunch. All right, Caesar, man, what a cool topic. I, you know, cool I feel guy, like, cool topic. I feel like we often hit the marriage thing pretty hard, and I thought it was cool to hear from the singleness too, like the way he kind of focused on. Yeah, a little bit of a a little bit of a slight turn from what I thought maybe we were going, but I'm really yeah. excited about what that says because. It's now a little yeah. bit of conviction falling here, you know, speaking to a smart brother about this. Um, I am just certain that there's ways that I've celebrated my marriage around people or sure. like, hey, yeah, you know, like this year, I'm married 35 years this year, you know, yep. and or, and or talked about marriage that is maybe made it not that celebratory for some people. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, what am I? I'm lacking here, you know, and yeah. even like one of my own kids is not yet married, you know, sure. Like what's she hearing that? I don't know. So that was super, man. I'm really excited about that. So, well, let's jump to the big three, which is the big three takeaways we'd love for you to get from this episode right now. And you can get them for free by going to one, two, three lifeschoolcom forward slash episode one seventy. Caesar, what would you say the big three are for this week? Yeah, I got them right here. I was thinking about this. Um, and, and, and by the way, too, the reason we write them down and people could, download them is because we try to pack these yeah like this is sort of like if nothing else here's big three takeaways stuff that hit our heart yeah. and maybe it encapsulates the episode in some ways but sure. i know people are driving or they're at the gym or out walking or whatever so yeah just you can you know go there to one three life com forward slash episode 170 that's Get for this week and there you go yeah. so here they are big three for this week first i think many of the church's narratives have limited our understanding of marriage and obscure our view of this life-giving and kingdom-serving roles that single people in the church can play. Hmm. And, you know, think about it. Jesus was single his entire life and is the most whole, complete picture of both humanness and who God himself is. Hmm. So don't limit your involvement or desires to serve God in or, in or outside the structured church based on your marital status, whether single or married. In Christ. You know, remember, you have the spirit of the living God inside you. And the church, that's all of us, yep. we need you. Absolutely. All right, number two. Okay, number two. God created you in his image, all of us, perfectly, before you were, or if you ever, get married. Hmm. We, we start out image bearers. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's, yeah, marriage is not built into that. We are image bearers. And he loves you, and he sees you 
complete apart from any achievements, quote unquote, that you make in your life. Mm. And while marriage is a beautiful gift from God, and it's and it is a beautiful picture, we've talked about this before, of the gospel in action. Marriage was never intended to make you a whole person. Mm. You're completed in and for Christ for his glory alone. Wow. That's good, man. All right, number three. All right. This is a call to myself and, and everyone listening. Think about the language that you use to talk about marriage to single people. Is it life-giving or is it limiting? Hmm. Is it filled with a sort of wait-for-God focus or a fullness-in-Christ focus? Hmm. Now, if you're single, what aspect of your identity and overall happiness are you basing on someday getting married? It's a hard question to ask. Yeah, and that's is. sort of the idols start to lurk, right? Have you placed limitations on yourself and all that God wants to do in and through your life as you wait for some possible future union? Often we do. We kind of put put it in neutral, I think, in mm. areas of our life. Maybe this could be one for some single people, too, kind of parked in neutral waiting for that. Sure. Also, remember, the whole church is your family, not just someday when you get married, you have a family. You have a huge family. There should be no lonely people in the church. We've got mm. this amazing family. That's a good word, man. Okay, brother. Thanks for the big three. Again, um, thanks can, again, Cutter. Yeah. yeah, Cutter, coolest name out there. <laughs> you get the big three by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 170. And just a reminder that um, Breaking the Marriage Idol, the subtitle Reconstructing Our Cultural and Spiritual Norms, actually releases this Tuesday. So feel free to pick it up on Amazon. Uh, we'll provide a link to it as well. There'll be a link in the um, show notes there. Yeah, so regardless of when you hear it, just go to the show notes uh, at 123lifeschool.com. Yeah. Episode 170. Just go there and uh, you'll find the, Get link the link to the book. Yep. And then we'll also have the conversation as we do every week on the Facebook group. And to join the Facebook group, just click up in the search bar, Life School Podcast. We'll accept you to the group and have a hearty conversation. Boom. We'd love to hear from both single, married, any convictions that you've got from this episode, uh, things you've been thinking about, uh, personal stories. Have Stir a dialogue. We're there yeah, talking to you. Stir it up a little. Next week... Uh, is, we'll be airing this podcast just a couple days before the uh, the birth of America. You know, we'll birthday celebrating the, of the birth of them. Yeah. <laughs> celebrating America's birthday with with uh, fireworks and hot dogs. Um, and this promise of freedom and liberty that America promises is that something that uh, should be given to us um, from America, or ultimately does this true identity come from Christ? Uh, so, are we free? What do we get to do with that freedom? We'll talk about that next week hope that you will hang in there with us for that episode and you can always get more information on the podcast by visiting 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast